Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with information and guests you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now, let's move behind the scenes at Movie Beat. I want to thank everybody for joining me, tuning in. My name is Rex Sykes. I'm your host. The official website is rexsykes.com. That's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. Today's guests are writer, producer, director, team, Chris Power and Nathan Hines. Uh, their movie, Long Pigs, a grisly, gruesome horror flick that you got to see, is premiering in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, April 22nd. I'm going to go. If you're in the listening area, you have to go, especially if you like horror films. Uh, But before we get to my guests, I have a few announcements to make. First off, if you're listening to this live, go ahead, friend us, fan us, uh, make us a favorite, leave comments about the interviews. That's a way that you can support us. And I do appreciate your emails and your support. Always feel free to retweet about my guests and about these interviews and about blogs on the website and uh, post it on your Facebook walls, MySpace, email your friends, your industry contacts, because that way you support them. You help get the word out about my guests. And the reason that's important is because my guests share with you information that you might need to have when making your project. You see, MovieBeat is really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. There's over 120-some-odd interviews there. Uh, actually, 20-odd, 20 120-odd Fabulous interviews there that you're going to want to make sure that you listen to. They're available at the archive page at the interviews blog on Movie Beat, and they're also available by podcast through the iTunes store. So uh, be sure, if you're listening to an archive show, that you go and subscribe to iTunes, uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat, so that you always have these uh, interviews available to you uh, whenever and wherever you are, because uh, 120-some interviews is less is just about a gig of information. Anyway, um, when you uh, retweet us, my Twitter address, by the way, is Rex Sykes Movie BT. Rex Sykes Movie BT. That last word is abbreviated. Uh, when you retweet about my guests, when you post it on your Facebook walls or MySpace or email, uh, you are supporting them, and um, uh, they share uh, their expertise and their know-how so that uh, you can better make your projects whether that's television, whether it's a webisode, whether it's a video game, whether it's a movie. uh, That's what this show is totally about, and I appreciate uh, you helping them in that way and uh, for your support of me. Um, A couple of announcements. One is besides April 22nd, where I'm going to be in Milwaukee at the Time Cinema, and we're going to have the guests talk about that in a moment, Uh, I will be at the uh, Wisconsin Film Festival on April 16th and 17th. The festival actually begins the 14th, runs to the 18th. Uh, It's in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm going 
uh, to see Feed the Fish by uh, Movie Beat guest director Michael Matzdorf and to see Baraboo, uh, directed by Mary Sweeney, who is uh, one time Michael uh, David Lynch's uh, partner. Uh, so uh, check out the Hot News blog at rexvikes.com to find out more information about that. Hot and fun, a couple of things I want to tell you about. Uh, Peter Marshall has his um, director's workshop coming up in May. Look at the Hot and Fun blog to get more information about that. If you want to be a better director uh, or if you want to be a director, that's a, a chance for you to uh, learn all about directing with a, a professional director at the helm. Uh, the V-Pipe Screenplay Pitch Contest, by way of Facebook, ends on the 15th of this month. So if you wanted to pitch your, uh, your screenplay to uh, Hollywood, uh, you only have a few more days to do so. And uh, Kevin Sorbo's charity, uh, World Fit for Kids, is coming up in June. Please go to the Hot and Fun blog and read all about these events, and uh, I think you'll be glad you did. I'm going to bring my guests on right now. Uh, Chris Power grew up in Toronto. Uh, he went to college, uh, the Ontario College of Art, now of uh, Art and Design, and he worked for years as a, a DGC and art director while producing short films, music videos, documentaries, and television on the side. Um, most recently, Chris has sold a number of scripts and has been working in pre-production as a writer and director on the French Touch while gearing up for this official release of his first feature film, Log Pigs. Uh, Nathan Hines is from Newfoundland, Canada. Uh, and uh, as a teenager... Uh, Nathan moved west to Toronto to attend film school at Ryerson University, and from there he began making his own work and honing his craft on low-budget shorts and uh, music videos. But Newfoundland summoned him back to work at a documentary that would change the direction of his storytelling. Uh, spending time with a ritual killer in a prison yard, Nathan found a passion for troubled individuals. Long Pigs, his first feature film, was born. And again, uh, that's going to be premiering April 22nd at the Time Cinema in Milwaukee. I'm going to bring these gentlemen on and say, hello, Chris. Hello, Nathan. Are you there? We're there. How's it going, Rex? <laughs> you are there. Uh, it's going well. How about for you guys? Really good, thanks. Yeah, we're excited. On top of my resume, too, I'm supposed to have a baby in about a month. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we're all excited about that. It's great timing for all this stuff. <laughs> Well, that's that's very cool. Uh, now, uh, you should identify yourself so that the listeners know and then can distinguish your voices uh, after that. I, I'm, I'm Chris. I sound more like C-3PO, and Nathan sounds more like Darth Vader. Hey, I'm Nathan. <laughs> All right. And, Chris, you're having the baby? Your wife is having well, the baby? Well, my wife is, yeah. It's, it's going to be our first kid. So we're just oh. excited. Our first kid, our first movie, and Nathan and I are just really pleased to see the reaction that Long Pigs is finally getting after such a long time getting it made. And uh, you, you've had some success with the festivals regarding Long Pigs. We have. Um, we toured at a bunch of festivals. I mean, we had also a bunch of follies at the different festivals. Um, basically, you know, our, our official festival world premiere was mislisted at Cinequest for being at 10 a.m. when it was actually at 10 p.m. When we showed up to the theater, we were so happy that our efforts at correcting people had turned, off, had turned out because there was a lineup at the door. Unfortunately, we were also playing in a theater that was premiering 300 on the same night. So uh, oh, wow. we played to about 57 people <laughs> on that night. But festivals have been fun. 
we showed up and saw the lineup. We thought, oh, my God, we're going to be packed. This is great. We got all excited, and then we watched everyone file into 300. <laughs> oh. but, but, it, but it was still great. It was still you know, a fairly big festival. J.J. Abrams was there. It was Cinequest in San Jose. So it was a pretty big festival, lots of industry people there, lots of buyers, lots of other young filmmakers. And it, was, uh, it was good. I mean, you've got to kind of pick and choose which ones you go to. Just obviously you can't fly around and go to every festival you get into. But right. um, we've, we've been lucky going to ones that have turned out to be really great. Yeah, and, and it's kind of a, you know, you basically get treated like a rock star for the weekend, and you come back, and then you have to go to work, and, and life goes on. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's great for the ego, and it's great for people to see the movie, but you do have to watch it um, just from a budgetary standpoint, quite frankly. Well, let's talk a little bit about that then uh, before we get into, uh, you know, the making of Long Pigs. Uh What's it like? I mean, you submit, you wait, you get word, you choose. You know, I mean, what? Uh, how do you? Uh, how did you set up your festival circuit run? I guess I want to say we we kind of went through all the festivals that were around and kind of tried to find first of all ones that the movie fit, and uh, we, we kind of tossed in a mixture of like the, your ideal ones. Like we applied to Cannes Film Festival and all you know all the big ones in case you know a miracle happened and we got into one of those, and then. Uh-huh. You, you pick the genre ones, and then you pick the cities you want to go to, and you kind of have to. You realize once you start applying and sending them too that every time you do it, it costs fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. Yeah, some of them are quite outrageous, so you really can add up. And then if you get in there, then you're adding. I mean, very rarely uh, will they, you know, pay outright for you to go anywhere. You know, they might have some deals or some sponsors, but basically, each one of these festivals to go to ends up costing you money. Um, so it's just it's one of those realities that we were sort of faced with, uh, you know, we, we don't have a, a major studio that's flying you around to these things, and you're basically doing it on your own dime. I think it's, you know, the era without a box as well. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. every festival and their cousin on there, and you've got to kind of wade through them all. It's easy just to kind of pick a bunch and just send them all out, but a lot of times I think some of them are just up there, and they're not really festivals, so... Definitely have to do your research first and make sure that you know it's something that people go to, that there's going to be any kind of media there. That you know, so I think I think it's become a bit of a business. I think people set up festivals and they have absolutely no idea what they're doing, and they just do it as kind of a cash grab. Well, we've run into festivals where people have set up the festival specifically because they couldn't get their film shown at any legitimate festivals, so they set something up <laughs> and right. then invited other people out there. So. It's there are about as many different festivals as there are independent films these days, which means you know we're flooded with them. No, that is true, and and uh, you you make a good point about you know being cautious and and being thrifty and and knowing what you're uh, submitting to because uh, I mean even if you go to IMDb in terms of third party validation, some festivals qualify and some don't, and so mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah, I mean, and the nice thing is that in this go around now that we've been working with. Uh, Buzz in our squared, it's more in the category where we're not having to compete or pay entry fees to get into these festivals where we're being invited for special screenings, oh, which cool. is uh, obviously the place, you know, that that's you know, a much more enjoyable process for us, and uh, especially since we don't have to fill out those those blasted forms, <laughs> which, again, it can be a, basically a full-time job applying for festivals uh, very sure. easily, yeah. And a lot of you know dignity out the window, a lot of begging and pleading and <laughs> calls to the programmers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the dignity goes out the window. Are you are you uh, screening a, a DVD of it, or are they requiring you to have prints? Or it uh, they're looking. Most of them actually are looking for Blu-rays. Oh um, yeah. 
it's it's kind of the age of of digital digital media um and i think a lot of these um rep cinemas as we call them um you know they basically have realized that there's you know money to be made because so many people are trying to get their films shown so uh, most of them have installed some form of digital, even if, you know, again, when you go to the festivals, that's another thing, too, is sometimes they're equipped for your stuff, and sometimes they really not. So you get there, and you got to be prepared to go with the flow, as we are basically with every screening. And we've kind of gone through uh, the gauntlet of fire. and had We were at one screening where it was a packed house uh, in Newfoundland. They were loving it. And basically with 10 minutes to go, the film suddenly stopped and it was like the tape stopped and started to rewind and basically the guy fell asleep while he was transferring oh. it didn't realize that the tape <laughs> had run out before the film had run out and they didn't have we had you know we were like okay we've got it on five other formats which one can you use and of course they only had this one format that they were using and that was it so we basically had to watch the whole audience file out past us sort of going what happened you know so if it's not, it can't be worse than that. <laughs> That's for sure. We've also seen it. I mean, we screened at a festival in L.A. at the old Vine Theater, right at Hollywood mm. Vine, which is a massive old theater, and they showed it on a, a regular old DVD, and that was probably the nicest looking, you know, version of it we saw. And we, mm-hmm. you know, went out and got our HD digit beta copies that cost five hundred bucks, and you know, we did we did it that way too. But remarkably, the best copy I saw was off the DVD. Yeah, it's kind of luck of the draw. Wow, interesting, very interesting. The projectors, the projectors are usually the biggest part of it. <laughs> yeah, obviously. You've yeah. learned. So. Yeah. Well, I just I literally yesterday got texted and then a phone call, follow-up phone call from a friend of mine who's uh, at a contest in Vegas and uh, uh he said out of all of the all, out of all of the films being screened, he's like ours was the one that stopped in in the in the thing and and they couldn't get it to work, and it wasn't it wasn't a problem with the DVD or the disc, Blu-ray disc, I guess is what they gave. Them. They had, but they said fortunately they had it, you know, and they had it so that they could uh, hand him another one. Then they had to burn it, you know. I mean, they had to go through all these mm. all these things just to get back so that they could screen the movie. So people saw the first couple minutes, and then hours later they got to actually see it. But uh, well, tell your buddy we know how he feels. I remember when we we had a screening for a short film, probably in the most humiliating experience, and it same thing happened where basically the guy was late delivering us and one of our drunken friends got up and still started telling jokes to the audience <laughs> while we were waiting which was, yeah, the, was the longest 45 minutes of my life probably uh-huh. but it, it happens you got to roll with it you do have to roll with it it is one of those tricky things too because especially when you're at a festival it's your world premiere i mean that's it's momentum right like every screening counts early on so sure. when it happens it's easy to get really down but you do just have to roll with it i mean Technical problems are always going to be there, and they're always going to happen. And how you deal with them is really what separates, you know. I think separates you whether you're going to get stuff done or not. Yeah. Well, let's okay. Well, and I really appreciate that. And let's move just a little bit. And first, tell uh, the listeners uh, that this is the world premiere feature film debut on in the, in a theatrical release coming up on April 22nd. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about that, and then where you're going to be shortly after that. The different places that people might come and see the movie. Let's give out your website. Let's get all that out, and then let's go back and talk to the number of years it took you to get this movie made. <laughs> Is this a four-hour show? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, we mean, again, we're really excited about the uh, Time Cinema in Milwaukee, uh, seven o'clock on April Thursday, April twenty-second, and uh, we've got a lot of special guests. Uh, coming, um, there's going to be some people who made the movie. Uh, Chris Bridges, who is responsible for the 
mind-blowing special effects. He just got a review recently that uh, where a guy said it's possibly the greatest corpse effect in movie history. I agree. Uh, I agree. Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. Well, on behalf of Chris, thanks. So we're really excited about the Milwaukee uh, premiere on April 22nd. The day after that, we're actually going to be at Motor City Nightmares in uh, Detroit um, for a, basically that's going to be a festival screening. And then, Nathan, uh, when's the Texas screening? Uh, April 28th, Wednesday, April 28th in, in Texas. Uh, we're going out for the Texas uh, Frightmare Convention, and uh, we're having a special screening there. Um, so, yeah, and then after that, uh, we're getting a couple of nights in our hometown, Toronto, at, at our, the Royal Theater, which is a, a great old theater here that we just found out about. We don't know the exact dates of that yet, but uh, hopefully it uh, it catches. I think a lot's hinging on this uh, Milwaukee screening, though. I think... Yeah. People are kind of, we have a lot of kind of lines out there, and people are waiting to, to see what's yeah. going to happen. So that's why we're really, really, really pumped about the Milwaukee. We also have some other dates where we know we're going to be there, but it's not quite. Like, it's going to be Rochester, um, Seattle, and San Antonio. It's also going to be on PPV, VOD, and then on DVD on June 8th. So uh, we're just trying to get as much uh, can out there right now. Awesome. Well, I, I want to say that I have seen the movie, and and I and I tell the listeners if if they're into horror, uh, this is a grisly, you know, it's it's not like it's a bloody horror flick. I mean, I'm not going to say that, but it's it's a gruesome, it's a disturbing, it, it the, the the content theory is is uh, grotesque. I mean, you know, it's just it's just one of the you guys are very sick writers, but uh, but it's, but I think I I love I, I enjoy the film very much. It's, it's it's marvelously executed. The acting is incredible, and uh, you know, well, and, and especially you. the first feature, you know, it's amazing. Well, thank, and I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned the actors because that was really you know um, part of the exercise in this whole and the reason why we shot it the way we did because we had done uh, you know our short film that was very uh, Kubrickian where we had everything storyboarded and built our sets that with walls that could fly away and had everything pre-planned and we really realized that if you don't get good performances you can have all the style in a movie that you want and it can be as graphic looking as you want but it really doesn't have anything if there's if the acting isn't there uh, you might as well not even make the movie so Really, you know, we obviously we did this non-union. Uh, we're lucky enough to score some really great actors who came out and did us some favors. But it was a long, long process. The casting. Nathan was down in his basement for, I guess, what Nathan? Three months? Yeah, three, four months down there with our casting director Elisa, just uh, looking through everybody. We knew we had Anthony, and we wrote the movie around that. But. Um, getting the good performances were something we were determined to do. And also we learned a lot, too, in letting the actors improvise and really forcing them to be involved in the characters and not being stuffy about the wordings or the lines or stuff like that. Um, really engaging the actors and making sure that they knew that they were part of the creative process. And I think that's why we ended up with, with such impassioned performances, um, even from, you know, sort of our, some of our side characters. You know, the police officer in our movie, who ends up being a, a major thread, in the original script, was only about, what, three-quarters of a page, Nathan? Of, mm -hmm. of, one scene, of, uh, one little page. Yeah, and he was mostly getting across expository facts and some stuff like that. Uh, Shane Harbison walked into our uh, audition space and you know started talking about his experiences because he's actually somebody who works for Overt. Uh, so he's a, a civilian volunteer who actually looks for missing persons. And I've seen some of this stuff, and you know, he was, we were in mid conversation. I said, "Okay, stop. I want all this on camera. You've got the job." He's fantastic, and took it to another level. 
but that was after you know two months of looking through guys coming in trying to do Al Pacino <laughs> and uh, Serpico. Or, yeah, we saw lots of Glengarry Glen Ross. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think we saw every you know non-union is, is the other thing. I mean, when you're doing a non-union shoot, you've got to see every non-union actor you know that can possibly get there. It's not like you know actor and you're picking people who you've seen in different things and you know you're really going blind. And uh, we, I think we saw every non-union actor in Toronto twice. Yeah, we saw people. We saw. I mean, the guy who plays uh, Merle uh, in the film, who's the father of the uh, murdered girl, mm-hmm. uh, he basically came out twice before auditioned for, I think, the role of John and the role of possibly the cop. And uh, you know, we reintroduced ourselves. He was like, "Yeah, I've actually." been out to audition for you guys twice before, you know what I mean? But we still hadn't found our Merlin, you know, knock against us for not seeing it in him. But, you know, he was obviously perfect for what we were looking for. We were very lucky, but we also made some mistakes. I mean, originally we had a psychiatrist who was more of an effeminate male, you know, uh, in the background with the Japanese, uh, you know, lanterns and, and, you know, being sort of more new agey stuff. And we realized that that was wrong and uh, reshot it with Kelly McIntosh, and she knocked it way out of the park. But we're most proud of our actors. Obviously, you can tell we're going on and on here, but we're really so proud of our actors and so happy. Got to mention Barb Walsh, too, who plays Lucy the Prostitute, who gave us the greatest gift just by physically doing what she did, you know, without spoiling the movie too much. Uh, Yes. She kind of has to get up in a harness (laughs) and basically is... Pretty naked. Uh, to you know, it's, it's basically the situation as a director where you're asking somebody to do something that you would never in a million years even think of doing yourself. I wouldn't even take my shirt off in public, much less, you know, get up in that rig. Nathan got up in the rig, though. Yeah, I decided I was going to be a hero and get up there and uh, show her how uh, how safe it was, and I ended up getting stuck up there for <laughs> yeah, five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then she still did it after that, which yeah. is the most amazing thing. Yeah, she's a trooper, another uh, another amazing actor. But it bleeds into the effect. Sometimes being a good actor is just being, you know, willing to do things that other people won't, you mm-hmm. know. And for her to do that, I mean, made that entire effect and that whole scene believable. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have done well, I, I just want to say, I, actually, I don't think there's any acting in the movie, and that's a good thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, and, and I mean that in the, in the most positive way. That it, it it does seem so seamless and so conversational and so um, down, you know, real. That it's mm-hmm. not like you're watching a theatrical performance. You're watching these people talk, and you go, "Wow," you know. And and then you've got your sick content on top of it. But no, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is so. It is. It, I'm 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 very impressed. Um, maybe before we continue any further, if you've got a log line or something that you can clue in listeners who might not be aware of 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 the kind of exactly thing we're what talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, basically a mockumentary about uh, two bumbling. Uh, filmmakers who think they've found their ultimate documentary subject in a fully functioning cannibalistic uh, serial killer who's, you know, aside from that, is basically just a regular jovial kind of semi-philosophical guy. Um, and that's basically the, the setup for it. Um, you know, we, we have some incredible special effects, uh, like we say, and it's really based on... Um, a story that we had tried to tackle in our 20s. Maybe Nathan can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, when we were, I think when we were in our early 20s, we were trying to write a script. I think we got a little bit inspired by Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and decided there weren't, weren't enough horror movies that were from the killer's point of view that had a sympathetic, you know, kind of anti-hero killer. 
And uh, I grew up in small town Newfoundland. My dad told me about a, a story about a guy who had sawed this guy's head off with a hacksaw and this satanic murder in this small town. And he was still alive in prison, and uh, he knew the family. So through a little bit of quasi-PI work, we tracked him down in prison and went and started interviewing him. And as we were doing it, we realized that we probably couldn't write anything more you know, sensational than what he was telling us. So we decided to do a documentary about it. And in the process of doing that, being young and naive and full of beans, we probably made every mistake you could possibly yeah, make every possible mistake. journalistically. Mm-hmm. We got way too close to the subject and, uh, yeah, really just made every mistake you could possibly make. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the filmmaker side, basically, our ineptitude uh, comes out of that experience uh, for long things. So it ended, it ended up ending, you know, kind of abruptly after spending about five years on it. <laughs> um, you know, getting, you know, they have, he had my mother's home phone number. I spent hours, I inter- I, we talked our way into the prison and, you know, he was dying of AIDS at the time. <clears throat> and I was in a room by myself with him with like no guards, me and my cameraman. And I'm a young guy, you know, and it was just really kind of t- took a lot to, you know, get through it all. And, and we got really, really close to it. And then when it didn't work out, it was pretty devastating. But, you know, luckily, a couple of years later, when we were coming up with our low-budget, high-concept uh, idea for a movie, it kind of worked perfectly. And instead of, but I think the trouble with the documentary was that everything had happened ten years earlier, so it ended up being a lot of just talking heads, which kind of bores us in general. <laughs> yeah. So we decided to, instead of having it be something that happened ten years ago, why couldn't we put these characters, being him and I, in a situation where we're dealing with someone who's committing the murders as we're shooting? And uh, that's kind of where the whole thing came from. Wow. Um, wow, and that is amazing. Yeah, it was pretty hectic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope that guy doesn't get out. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no kidding. So um, you also, I mean, in this process, I mean, you were shooting and you, 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 know, you spent a certain amount of money on special effects and, and it didn't turn out, but then you got Chris Bridges. How did you, how did you hook up with Chris? Well, the special effects is, a, yeah, it's kind of a long and sordid story where we had gone with a young guy who, you know, assured us that he could do things. And generally, you know, I agree with Sam Raimi in the sense that if you go with young people, generally they don't disappoint you. You know, they're, they're, out to prove something, but in this case, I think the guy was just in over his head. Yeah. And the big effect that we asked him to deliver was um, our Lucy body there, our prostitute body, and we basically ended up with something that, when it was unveiled to us, was looked like a baked ham. It was completely unusable, and it was four grand, you know, down the down the drain, which is you know, a significant part of our budget. Big budget, part of our budget. So, you know, the next thing we tried, we had heard uh, since I had done some. Uh, worked on Amazon, the TV show that was up here. So there was a, a special effects lady who had a reputable shop, and uh, we set up a meeting with them. And this is back in the days when we actually had our production manager and our PAs with us, and we showed up with two cards and clipboards and ready for the meeting with her, and the doors were locked, and the phones were not answering, and the cell phone, there was no answer. Uh, we were humiliated, basically sitting there. And we actually found out only by chance a couple months later that she had actually gotten hold and read the script and deemed it so horrible it should never be made. And instead of even calling us and canceling, she just chose to leave us out there twisting in the wind. Um, we ended up meeting Chris Bridges actually through just a friend of ours, Scotty, who said, you've got to meet this guy. Um, I remember going into Chris Bridges' shop, and 
he's he got his portfolio there, and he, you know, we're looking through, and the first page is basically a girl in a tank top screaming, and I'm looking for the effect saying, well, where's the, where's the prosthetic? I'm looking for like a gash on the or something. He's like, no, the girl is the effect, and basically it was for, I think it was for the Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead. Well, one of the of the Dead, one of the Romero movies. Well, the, well no, the one that Zack Schneider directed. Oh, that's oh, that's right, that's right. Where basically on the next frame you see that you know there's a chainsaw that goes up all the way through the girl. This guy is not only the most talented, but the nicest guy we'll ever meet in the industry. I think Chris is the guy who works for like he's worked for a lot of the big makeup guys when there there was this time when there was a lot of big horror movies being shot in Toronto just for the because of the dollar and other reasons and he was a guy in every one of those movies who always did the best effect in the movie. Well, in in 300 where there's the tree of the dead and if anybody's a 300 fan they'll know what I'm talking about it's the big tree where they had a bunch of bodies um basically nailed to it. They originally had in the budget that they were going to do a 112 scale, which Chris was responsible for, and then they were going to, after shooting that, they were going to build it up in full scale, one-to-one. I remember going into a shop and finding all these Barbie doll-type-looking things that were freaking me out because they had you know, armpit hair and pubic hair and <laughs> gashes on them. He did such a great job that uh, Zack Schneider saw it and said, thank you very much, Mr. Bridges. That's, we don't even need to build the big one now. You've just saved us $100,000. You know what wow. I mean? The guy is, is super talented. He's just he's just a, a, a major like movie geek too. Like he just he, his house is surrounded by it. Every book he has, like he builds robots in his spare time. He's just one of those guys, you know. Yeah. He's just he's just a brilliant guy who happens to be a sweetheart. And creatively, he's he's amazing. You know, we completely fearless. I'll tell you. I mean, one other thing too is we actually didn't even have the time lapse shot. I don't know how we thought we were going to get around it, but we didn't have that in the original script. I think we thought because we had done the Lucy body and sort of shown the big process early on, we could get around it. So Chris was wrapped. I mean, it was, you know, beers, here you go, thanks very much. And I remember calling him and saying, here's how we're going to propose to do this thing. And he said, I've never heard of it being done like that, but it sounds like it's going to work, so let's do it. And was happy to sit down there for 13 hours in a dank, smelly basement, (laughs) you know, which stunk of the syrup and everything else. Syrup, rotting meat, and, and five plastic, and five sweaty guys. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's fearless, and, uh, you know, he's my odds-on favorite from all of our pack of friends to win an Oscar. Yeah. Wow. yeah. If there's an Oscar pool, he's the guy. He's the guy. Wow. Well, um, I need to, I mean, this is fascinating. I need to take a short break and uh, and kind of identify where who we are and what we're doing, and then we'll be right back. Okay, guys? Great. Cheers. All right, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official website is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. Go ahead, subscribe to the website there at the welcome page uh, using the RSS feed button. All of these interviews are available as podcasts through the iTunes store, so be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast. Upcoming guests are Sam Whitworth, the actor from Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, and many, many others. Ian Agard is... Uh, uh, a director and an author of an ebook about financing, uh, getting movie money, uh, getting your movie financed. So he's he's going to be up, uh, uh, I think on on the 15th of April. I don't normally give the dates out, but but these are the uh, guests who follow. Uh, Julie Richardson is producer on Collateral. Uh, Peter Marshall, the director, first AD, will be up. Reed Martin, author of The Real Truth. Jenny Stolte, cinematographer. Alan Gansberg is a, an author, producer, uh, film historian. He's uh, at Columbia Film School. Christine, I'm sorry, Kristen Shaw, acting and audition coach. Patrick Girardi will return on post-production sound supervision. 
Terry Green is returning, uh, screenwriter, director, and Eric Morris, acting coach, will be back. That will round out April. And then we've got Paul Provenza, producer, director, actor, comedian, coming up in May. John Reese, uh, Dallas Jenkins will return. Sarah Neen Bruce will return, and so many others. So be sure you stay put, and please, again, continue to share and spread the word about uh, Rex Sykes' Movie Beat and all of my guests. Um, guys, we're back. Uh, you know, I don't normally, you know, see movies and then talk about movies that I've seen on the show. Uh, so this is a little break from what I normally do. But as I said, I'm impressed. Uh, I will be at the opening of your movie April 22nd at the Time Cinema in the Milwaukee area. Do you have a website with any of the other dates and, and stuff listed so that the listeners can go to your website or uh, find out your schedule? Uh, you can either go to uh, Long Pigs the Film, which is all one word, dot com, Long Pigs the Film, and that's also got a, uh, a, a Facebook click button that'll get you to our Facebook where we're constantly updating about um, our upcoming screenings and uh, and uh, the release dates and uh, excellent interviews like this one. <laughs> we've also got uh, recently we've also got uh, Anthony uh, the, the character of Anthony Anthony McAllister tweeting from prison. Yes. And he also uh-huh. has his own Facebook site, Anthony, uh, Anthony McAllister, so he's looking for friends. He's very lonely in prison. Yeah, he's got yeah, some yeah. wonderful recipes like Hell's Angels food cake and uh, chili ex-con carne, and, uh, but he's also tweeting about and, and following us as we're going around with the film and uh, heckling us from beyond <laughs> yeah. from beyond the bars. So it's, it's pretty fun stuff, and uh, those are being updated regularly as well, and that's a good way to keep up. So this movie took seven years to get made and distributed, and during that time, you know, you've spent time with the actual killer, <laughs> made many mistakes, uh, you know, tried to get Almost your movie. killed each other, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us about that in a second, but uh, uh, but also, you know, it, you know, showed up somewhere where the you know the whole office is on lockdown. But not only that, it, Chris, I mean, you were fired. From a, a non-related editing job. Yeah, I was I was editing um, just a just kind of a crappy kind of crime recreation TV show, and uh, I was working for there was a you know kind of a schlocky producer there who you know was the kind of guy who would grab you around the arm, a la Harvey Weinstein, and say you're gonna be my boy, I'm gonna get you doing directing, and we love your stuff, and you're great, and we're gonna work with you. And I had given a copy of the film to a PA a few weeks before. And uh, I guess it just filtered up through the wrong people. Eventually, this producer said, okay, let's put it on. And from a buddy of mine who was working there, the eyewitness report, he basically said he immediately ejected it from his computer, was demanding that all record of it be expunged from his computer. He was saying, how can anybody watch this? Who would watch this? This is sick, terrible. My buddy was playing devil's advocate, saying, well, you know, it's won a couple of awards at festivals. And he's like, no, that's unbelievable. So basically... I mean, he didn't even have the guts to call me call me himself. It just, uh, you know, the work stopped, and then it, you know, I had to wait six months to get paid and the whole thing. But yeah, he was really, really violently offended, which probably says something more about him than anything else. But at the same time, it uh, people people either love it or hate it. It seems. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and I and I can understand and appreciate that, and understand how, you know, someone can be offended. It's it's funny that they take a film i mean my my personal thing is that it's funny that they would take a film that's in an obvious genre you know mm-hmm. 
so serious. Well, he apparently made horror movies, too. That's the funny part. You know, I mean, it's not like he was a total Puritan as well. I mean, he worked right. in the industry, but there was something about the film that, you know, again, usually we found around the 15-minute mark, people are either, you know, taking it out of their DVD player, whipping it across the room in disgust, or they're right into the movie, and they're willing to go with it uh, the whole way. And that was kind of part of the reason why we put some of our, uh, you know, put really one of our most shocking scenes right up front, just to let people know what they're in for. You know, we thought it was basically a way of being fair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I want to come back to the, que- the uh, question um, from the chat room, which which goes back to festivals, um, and uh, you can answer this however however you can. They said, "Have you found it harder to get a horror film booked at festivals uh, in comparison to other genres?" I mean, would you know? But you know, I mean, in other words, it, it, how is the reception? I guess, and and. I think- and Go ahead. So I was just going to say, I think what we've learned really is that the best reception we've gotten is from horror festivals as opposed to artistic festivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <clears throat> obviously, like ideally, we we you you always want your movie to kind of cross over, right? Ideally, we'd love to have people who weren't ju- not just horror fans kind of getting into the movie. But we found definitely that the horror-friendly genres were more, and and you know some obviously like some things that are really highbrow. I mean, you you get an idea of the the other films that they that they've kind of uh, programmed in the past. You kind of get an idea of what their tendencies are. So I think it's good to just to do your research again, like just be proactive about knowing which ones you're applying for, and and just looking to see what else they've programmed. If they're print programming, you know, romantic comedy is 99% of the time. That's really not the one for long pigs to go to. And when it comes to the other, like, let's say the blue chip festivals, if we're talking, you know, Cannes, Sundance, um, Toronto, Toronto as well. I mean, it really, a lot of that, it comes down to what they're looking for in that year. Unfortunately for us, there was a movie that came out the year before ours called uh, Behind the Mask, which we had heard from a couple of the big festivals basically playing, saying people that you know, we loved your film, but we had just screened this one last year, and it's kind of was sort of a horror mockumentary, so we don't want to do the same thing two years in a row. And that, you know, it can come down to, you know, which person is screening, you know, uh, your film. And we've had a, even when it comes to getting distributions, we had a guy at Alliance Atlantis who was like, I'm going to champion your film, this is going to be fantastic, and I'm going to, you know, he was a, he's a VP, and Basically, it got up to one of the presidents, you know, some board meeting up there, and eventually it just stopped. It was like, sorry, guys, I, you know what I mean? I love your film, but, you know. It's the type of film, too, with this one. When you don't have stars in your film, it makes getting seen everywhere, whether it be festivals or just, you know, normal forms of distribution, you know, incredibly difficult. It just, you know, the the biggest question we get from, most people were, you know, when we were going around in the early days of the festivals to these markets, was, you know, they're saying, "Who's in it?" You know what I mean? And we say, "Well, nobody," but you know, sort of already, you can see the glazed look of disinterest going over their face, right? It's a very, it is a star-driven industry. And it's too bad so, because, yeah. I was going to say it's too bad because with your film having a star in it, I don't think would make it. It wouldn't work, and we wouldn't couldn't have made it, quite right, frankly. Right. Um, because half the time it was literally, uh, you know, myself, Nathan, and Anthony, you know, um, just riffing, you know what I mean, right. and just doing, making some stew or doing something like and that. Calling him on a, on a day's notice and just picking him up and, you know. Yeah. Saying, let's try this. We'll see what we can get. 
Um, he had his basic uniform that he wore, but the movie couldn't have been made in a in a traditional, and nor would it ever have been touched by a major studio in about 300 years. You know what I mean? It would have been the last thing they'd ever try to make, um, just because there's so much possible negative reaction. <laughs> what kind of shooting schedule did you actually have? Did you did you have a production? What I mean, when you say it took seven years, how long was your actual shooting phase, and, and did you? Did you plan it out as a, we'll do 15 days over a period of time? Yeah, in the early days we had call sheets and schedules and everything. I'm telling you, we had a we had a, actually a half a proper crew. And I guess we shot most of it in December 2003, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, you know, I guess about 15 days practically where we got a majority of the stuff, but we always knew that there was going to be big things that we'd have to... Um, basically get down the road then came reshooting um which you know we had finished the original ending of the script had um, a large media sequence where it started out with serious local news talking about the grisly nature of things and eventually once the filmmakers tapes are discovered it almost basically montaged or channel flipped into an entertainment tonight type sensationalist thing and it was a lot of money well, we, we had rented a whole studio that had all these different rooms, and we built like a, a kind of a, a couple of different newsrooms, a cooking show room, um, so we a fireside chat kind of room, and we had you know tons of crew, built sets, dollies, did all this stuff for this big kind of multimedia sequence to finish off the movie. And of course, the most difficult thing to do in a movie, even if you have a hundred million dollars is to do realistic-looking news. Unless you're Paul Verhoeven, you're, it's very tough to pull off fake news. <laughs> so a quarter of our budget and all that time and all the big blast, and and it, we ended up cutting the entire thing from the film. Yeah, we ended up... So you know, basically our first cut of the film, I guess, was done about a year later, which included all this news sequence. And for all different reasons, people just hated our ending. They just... You know, I think people ultimately felt like it was kind of puerile and kind of, you know, two, you know, young guys thumbing their nose at an industry that they're not even really a part of yet and uh, all that other sort of stuff. But uh, they were right. Man, yeah, they were, they were probably right. So basically there was a period where we were trying to edit around that. That's when basically we created or expanded, I guess you could say, the character played by Roger King, who's our, our radio host, Um who really strings things together and basically came back and did the whole, his confrontation with Anthony, at our killer, at the end of the movie. Um, and we have to just give our hats off to Roger, who, with somebody else too, that we basically gave some talking points to. Uh, and he just went in there and did it, you know, so naturally. There's actually a, an uncut uh, version of the interview with uh, Anthony on the DVD, because I was just so impressed. They basically riffed for 13 minutes straight, and it was one of the hardest things to cut down to, you know, a couple minutes so that it could be reasonably watchable. But, uh, you know, it's a long process. So the initial shooting, I guess, was eventually to get that all that done was about three years. Uh, Then we uh, had our festival run officially in 2007, and uh, at that point our heads were filled with dreams of, getting the, you know, half a million dollars up front. And, uh, you know, we were looking for, we were talking to people who were like, you know, don't take any deal unless there's money up front or people don't know they're serious. We actually had a number of offers um, from 
various people, and it just never quite... We never ended up picking one of those offers, which may or may not be... Um, you know, it may have may not have worked out, but the fortunate uh, R squared, and we've got somebody who, like us, is just believes in the movie and wants as many people to see it as possible. Uh, you know, which is the best thing that we can do. Uh, yeah, let's. We've got about 14 minutes left right now. 13, 14 minutes left. But can we talk a little bit about that? I mean, you know, uh, the notion of, you know. Trying to get a negative pickup deal and then and then mm. not. I mean, what and you know, or why you chose not to? And um, well, I, I mean, guess you don't have to get into too many specifics if you don't want to. But I mean, just just the kind of the trials and tribulations of that uh, particular aspect of 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 your film. Well, I guess you know you can say that once something gains even just a little bit of success. Uh-huh. that anybody who's had anything to do with it, especially on an executive level, would love to kind of wants to get their to put their stamp on things and try to get in get 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 involved, let's say. So we ended up in a situation where uh there there was basically a committee of us instead of just a couple of us. And you know, again, without trying to go through the whole soap opera, it was a soap opera. You know what I mean? Um, that's basically the long and the short of it. Is there was, the you know, a lot of um, consternation about which way things should be done. Uh, you know, people. I think I think yeah, looking I, I think looking back, like for with a first film, and um, when you're doing it that way, you, you're not you're not doing it for the money. You know, you're never going to get that deal with the big money unless it's like a, you know one in a million. So I think the the for for me looking back, I think I would have just the main thing is to get it out there and get it seen. You know, you, that that's number one. Don't try to be a, a deal maker or try to you know think you're bigger than you are. You know, no, just you're not even necessarily you. Just have to also beware of people who kind of swarm around you like sharks and say, "Hey, buddy, I'm going to make you a deal, and don't worry, I don't." I don't get on the phone if I don't think there it's going to be less than 50 grand and people fill your head with ideas and then it all turns out to be, you know, kind of garbage. Yeah, I mean and and also I think the most important thing and I've heard this before anyway is you know, don't worry about agents or managers or any of that stuff, get a good lawyer. <laughs> right, that's, right. That's that's probably the number one thing. You don't need an agent, you don't need a manager, you know. You don't need an accountant, you need a lawyer. Yeah. And first and then the the, the other things will come. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. Uh, you know, one of the scenes, and, I, and I'll switch gears here, but one of the scenes that that, that did impress me, uh, that got my attention while I was watching it, was uh, all of a sudden there's SWAT team going in, and I was like, wow. Yeah, that was actually uh, a little bit of a big day, a little bit of a hectic day. And Nathan, you want to tell that one? We had a, we had a, we had a good friend of mine who was a, a former cop. And um, we also had, uh, very close to us, a really good place that had a lot of great gear, guns, and, and equipment. So, And I also had another friend who owned a restaurant in the Anthony's Valet, so he allowed us to shoot our SWAT scene in front of his house. So we managed to get a pretty good deal. We, the only, we didn't actually uh, have anyone like super professional, except we, rent, we rented an ETF uh, agent who was the same as a SWAT. Yeah, basically an off-duty cop, right? You can rent them like you do for all movie productions. So we, we thought we had all of our bases covered. The one thing we didn't do was inform the local police precinct that we would be there with guys with uh, you know covered faces and machine guns. 
The other unfortunate thing we didn't really realize is that about 50 feet up the street from the restaurant was a large old age home. So you can see kind of once you have these young guys full of beans who are not really trained and uh, they're pulling up in police cars and jumping out and there's one poor old lady that somebody told me just basically jumped into the bushes (laughs) as she came out of the old age home. And the cops did roll up on us, but thankfully... The EZF guy got us out of it, and, and our guys did a good job. I mean, luckily, my friend is a cop, and we rehearsed it pretty well, and they, the guys knew exactly how to take someone down. But, you know, again, stuff happens when you have a low-budget movie. Like, the sirens didn't work on the car, mm. on the police car, you know? Like, so there's always little things that pop up, but we managed just to, it to be hectic enough and them to look professional enough that it uh, ended up working out. Yeah, but, uh, but that, was, that was basically, I guess, we shot that whole thing in about three hours, really. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty quick. And the the different interview sequences with, with his name is Shane the the officer the, the guy Shane Harbinson yeah and the, and and the uh, woman who plays the Kelly McIntosh that's Kelly what is, what is, Kelly yeah Kelly McIntosh um, you said originally that Shane was just like a quarter of a page but then it became extended did you did went did you at that point, then you know, script this stuff out, and then shoot them all in a day or two. Or how did how did you shoot their their interview sequences? Basically, with Shane, we knew we had such great stuff. Um, we actually did his. Basically, I guess he was his was almost a window, really. Well, our, we wrote our, the questions. Yeah, we wrote the questions. It was almost a target of opportunity that we did on the same day we were shooting the old age home. We just t- put did it in a side room, literally set him up there. And we knew what we were going to do. He knew what questions we were going to ask. He knew he knew what sort of expository stuff uh, we had to get out. But we rolled on him for I think 50 minutes or something like that, just continuously. And it was a thank you very much. He had done everything. And we basically, the more we went through editing, the more we ended up relying or leaning on uh, his performance. Um, again, that was just a great gift, and you know, I call it getting away with one. As a director, you know, and, oh. and, the, and a writer, and everything else. Right. Well, be that as so good. Yeah, I mean, he really did. But but I also was very impressed by 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 Callie and similar thing with her. Similar, similar sort of experience, quite frankly, with her. I actually had run into her while I was doing a, working on another friend's documentary, and she just seemed like such a, a forceful personality, and uh, was so. Uh, She's, she had a, a very strong way about her that I thought, yeah, she might be interested in this. And again, she surprised the hell of us. We said we sort of told her how we like to work, how we love improv. She was right into that, and basically showed up on set with reams of extra research and reams of you know great little points that she made. But really, she, you know, we needed somebody as strong as Shane to hold up to balance that table. And uh, she knocked it out of the park. I've seen I've seen documentaries where people are talking about like real serial killers saying these exact same things that she said. Yeah. You know, like she she did it. No, no, absolutely. I mean, they, they both were very very believable, and and which led me to you know, well, was it scripted? And they were learning their lines, but you know, I, you know how they pull, how you all pulled it off. Um, the other person who I would ask about right now, I mean, it comes to mind. What about the farmer? Where did you get that? <laughs> that what, what a blessing he was. He's actually the uh, the god uh, the grandfather to my godchildren, my aunt's oh, wow. husband. So he's kind of a distant relative, but I've always uh, you know I met him a couple of times and we just hit it off. I mean he's got he's a great guy. He's got that pig farm. He actually has that pig farm just north huh? of Hamilton around here. 
And uh, we, we kind of just went up there and asked him to be himself because he's very gregarious and he likes telling stories. He likes being. So I asked him if he wouldn't mind if we came up with our actor and you just gave us a tour of the farm mm-hmm. and just be yourself. Yeah, I mean, some of that, that stuff was obviously it had to be staged. We had to direct him just in the slightest of ways just to get some timing and some blocking and stuff like that. But uh, again, in the original script, he was just, you know, basically a good Samaritan who was, you know, at the farm. Who, you know, again, I think that the original uh, scene in the script was, I think, two pages where he changes the tire, gives him something to eat, and they're out the door. And the original cut from that scene alone was, I think, 35 minutes. Uh, you know, he went on and on. It was its own little short film. And he was just a magical, wonderful apparition of a character who kills for a living. Uh, you know, much like our hero Anthony, um, uh-huh. but is you know obviously the nicest, most family-oriented, and most generous person in the world. Uh, and a lot of, that, I mean, most of that stuff we we didn't have to certainly build that smoke shack or uh, or even bring the food. We actually showed up and they cooked that meal for us. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. They're very excited about the film coming out. Well, no kidding. And again, it's April twenty-second at the Times Cinema in. In Milwaukee, the the website is longpigsthefilm.com. Is that Pigs the film, and we also have uh, you can go to the Long Pigs fan site on on Facebook, which also uh, you know basically will keep you keep keep you updated about what's going on. Fantastic. Yeah. Now uh, we've got literally about four minutes left, and in that remaining time, uh, I'd like to ask you. You know, in 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 the seven years from from its conception to its production to its uh, getting distribution, uh, if you had to do it all over again, what would you have done differently? What mistakes did you you know now know that you didn't um, you know so that other people out there who are filmmakers could go, oh, okay, this is important to know. I mean, you've told us so much already, and I really do appreciate it. But uh, just to sum up in the in the final stages here because one of the things is, 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 is that I think is really I hope comes clear to people is one you know it's great to have a really powerful powerful story everything is story and then it's mm-hmm. driven by the performances and and you've got marvelous performances so I'm going to shut up and listen well I, you know we made <laughs> more mistakes than uh, we encounter I guess what, what would I have done differently I don't know that I I don't know that you can even ask that because it's such an organic process making a movie that, you know, I kind of believe in the Coppola, you know, theory about, you know, kind of the movie is sometimes just the energy you have at the time and where you are and the people that you know. So, I mean, already it's starting to look like kind of a snapshot to us of where we were, you know, a few years ago, uh, just because our lives have already changed so much already since we shot that movie. Um, the one thing I would say is not to give any money to anybody up front. We kind of got built by a guy who was promising about getting us investments and stuff. And uh, you just got to you got to be careful if you get any money at all. I don't know, Nathan. You want to comment? Yeah, on that? I think I think that that particularly was the big thing, especially when you're raising money. You're obviously spending money if you're making a movie, and you have to be careful because people are kind of will hover around you and try to take some of that money. Mm-hmm. And we had a guy early on who promised to close the deal for us. He was going to write our prospectus that we brought to our investors. And all he did was download a prospectus off the Internet, give it to us, and charge us 10% of our budget. And there were two young filmmakers just trying to make our movie, and this guy's been in the business for a long time. And, and you know, I really felt like, you know, 
that he it was a very unethical thing for him to do, even though he didn't really do anything illegal. But it's little things like that that can really dishearten you, and you can get caught up in that stuff. And you know, I, I think you know having again having a lawyer, you know, uh, okay. is, is the number one thing. You know, pay a guy to look at everything. You know, if we if we had had a good lawyer at that time, he might have been able to say, hey, take a look at this perspective. He wants ten grand, and he'll say yeah. no. But, but that, that, that's a big thing, is just be careful of your money. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, I might say, you know, the thing that might have made the whole, pro- thing that might have made the whole process easier might have been having a star, but again, like you say, I don't think it would have been the same film or nearly as effective, so maybe we had to suffer for our art. And, and everyone can make a, a bad movie, and I, this isn't really what we wouldn't have done, but I think you just have to be true to yourself, and, and the more, you know, you take yourself seriously and you tell your story the way you want to tell it, the more you're going to stand out. If you just try to do things to placate everybody else, then you're in big trouble. Obviously, there's scenes in the movie that would never have been there if we had listened to everybody tell us to take them out. Mm-hmm. But they were either an idea that Chris Iyer had that we believed in and we wanted in there, and then we weren't compromising on it. And I think the, the great filmmakers, not that we are, but in, just in general, the people that make it are the people who do that. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Agreed. Absolutely fascinating, guys. Let me ask you this. Uh, uh, you know, What about articles, I guess, that places people can read about it? Well, coming out in Rue Morgue, May 1st is the 100th uh, issue of Rue Morgue Magazine, which is a Toronto-based horror magazine. It's awesome, and we're getting a uh, review in there by the Gourmet, which we're super excited about. Cool. Uh, Bloody Disgusting just picked up some stuff about us. Uh, we've actually been getting quite a few good little reviews, which you can click to either on IMDb or, again, through our Facebook. Um, but it's... Uh, it's, it's really at the beginning stages. I mean, this being our first theatrical, not a lot of people have seen it. I mean, we're right at the beginning, but we're, getting, we're being interviewed by Dread Central at the end of the week. Bloody Disgusting has been talking about us. We're starting to build up that kind of portfolio. So if you go, I'm sure if you Google Long Pigs and you, uh, you look, uh, also on that note, though, beware of another movie called Long Pig, <laughs> singular. Because there is that movie out there. People do kind of stumble across that and go, oh, so, it's like garbage. No, no, no. <laughs> but it's long, long pigs, plural. That's the that's the key thing if you're looking for anything on it. Yes. Uh, yeah. In fact, I think I had a friend who did that because he said, "Is it a movie about this?" And I said, "No, it's not like that at all." And I didn't know what he was referring to, but uh, that may have happened to him. Well, let me say that I, I wish you all the best of success with the, the release of your movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's a, a, a wonderful horror flick. You guys did a, a marvelous job, especially to, to know that this is the first feature. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds. What's next? And I wish you all the best and success with all of the rest of the stuff that comes down the pike out of you guys. But uh, are, are you working on anything currently in terms of the uh, next project? Well, we both, we've both got a couple projects that uh, we're going to be uh, getting on the ground and announcing very shortly. But I think the main thing is right now that we're super excited to finally let people, to let Long Pigs have its day and let uh, our actors start to get the acclaim that they so deserve because they really gave us a great gift and knocked it out of the park. And by the way, I just want to say thanks for your kind words because that, that means a lot coming from uh, somebody like yourself who's not just a horror guy but uh, is a film aficionado, you know, which is well, really I, the type of people that we're looking to impress. I appreciate that very much. And I will see you guys next Thursday at the uh, Time Cinema in Milwaukee. It's actually on Bleed Street. Uh, the showing is April 22nd. What time is it showing? What time are you? What time? 7 o'clock, and we'll be there with uh, lots of uh, goodies and uh, DVDs and T-shirts, and we've also got some uh, Anthony's own beef jerky to give away and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So it should be a really fun event. Eat at your own risk. 
All right. Well, guys, thanks so much for being here today. Uh, happy travels, happy trails, and uh, and have a fabulous ride on this movie. Uh, see you next week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rex. All right. Take care, guys. That was Chris Power and Nathan Hines, the producing, directing, writing team of a grisly, ghastly horror movie called the uh, called Long Pigs. The website is longpigsthefilm.com. I want to thank my guests. Hey, everybody, uh, keep all my upcoming guests in mind. Be sure that you check out all the interviews that are available at RexPsych.com. Fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.